0: What's your place in the future? Is it to be an acceptor of what we have done when I left law school? Or is it to be a leader where you're serving the people that need to be served in the way they need to be served? And if you accept that it's important to be a leader, then you're going to be willing to do it differently.
1: When we hear them say that through that process, you know, this thing that we've put together, um, they come out as confident future colleagues and we always you know, think about them as our future colleagues and members of the profession. I think that's sort of a, a very general overall highlight.
2: The possibilities and the opportunity, I think mean, that's the most extraordinary part of this. When I began this journey four and a half years ago with Chris and Gina and the team, um, the opportunities for jobs, for change, the ability to look at our profession from a different perspective.
3: Welcome to Of Counsel. I'm your host, Sean Robichaud. Join us as our podcast profiles remarkable legal advocates from all areas of law, the professionals of persuasion, the catalysts of social change, Defenders of the downtrodden, protectors of social order, and the mercenaries of corporate interests. Those who, with the power of words alone, can shape the laws of nations, define human rights, and preserve or take away the liberty of another human being. Who are these lawyers? What are their secrets? And how do they balance it all? Court is now in session. All rise. Recognizing a need for alternative pathways for graduated law students to successfully advance to lawyers, the Law Society launched the Law Practice Program in 2014. The initiative was bold and met with controversy among the Bar. Many saw the program as redundant, substandard, and exacerbating the problem of unemployment among recently called lawyers. In only three short years, the Ryerson LPP program would not only prove their critics wrong by actually creating employment opportunities for lawyers, but also set the standard of what a comprehensive, innovative, and practical articling experience can and should be. In 2018, the LPP program has a long list of successful placements. However, the overwhelming success of the program would not have come without the passion, perseverance, and wisdom of our three guests today. Gina Alexandris, Andre Bacchus, and Chris Bentley, who combine their impressive backgrounds from legal education, Bay Street, and politics to form what the LPP program has made itself into today.
1: So how did I get into law? My uh, initial desire back in high school had been to go into teaching. I wanted to be a teacher. And then, as with many people that I've spoken to, in f- the final two years of high school, something happened to my parents. They had a commercial litigation, small small business commercial litigation matter, that they were engaged in. They're immigrants, little formal education. Um, and the kind of legal services that they received really, really struck me as... Um, unfair. Not the kind of legal service that I would expect. Uh, They were in tears oftentimes after their own uh, lawyer visits. Uh, They didn't understand the system. They were kept in the dark a lot. And so uh, that for me was a real um, turning point. And I wanted to then, I moved my decision to move into law law instead of uh, education so that I could ensure that others didn't experience what my parents experienced. And while I didn't have the language I think at that point, what I've realized since that is, it was pivotal for me in in the sense that diversity in the profession and access to justice for people such as my parents, immigrants, and others um, really stemmed from those initial experiences. And I think that really triggered me moving on into law school. And
3: so what happens from there? You, because the LPP program is relatively new. Yes. Oh, um, yes. And, and you've done many things before that. So what was your career in law before you got into this program?
1: So I practiced in a uh, small firm here in Toronto, uh, civil litigation and family law. And a lot of my clients were, such a, were like my parents, uh, uh, immigrants or small business owners. And it was really quite rewarding, but I also got the feeling fairly early on that the practice of law wasn't where I wanted to remain for a long term but I didn't know what to do afterwards and um, uh, over time there was a posting from Osgoode Hall Law School to develop the career services office they never had one and people going through law school now will think what do you mean you never had a how when did I go through law school at that time but there was no career services offices or services such as that for law students. And Osgood and U of T at the time were starting theirs. Um, I applied for the job, was interviewed, and uh, received the offer, and it felt right. At that point, practicing was far less um, uh, tied to who I was than something like the career office at Osgood. starting something new, being able to support law students in different ways, coaching them along the way. And that was critical for me. So um, took that job. And uh, within a couple of years, the role of assistant dean of student services became available. And it was a, a bit of a learning experience for me because I initially thought, I've only been around for a couple of years. I'm, it's too soon for me to apply for this position. And I kept thinking, but the next person who has it might be there for a while, so it might be a while if I don't take it now, what do I do? Encouraged to apply, and I did, and I got the position, and I was the person who was there for the next nine years. So, you know, it, it felt uh, again really enjoyed the experience there. And, and what had happened, in essence, was that initial passion that I had for education really started marrying itself with law. So, legal education was uh, where I was able to find that, uh, that uh, combination of education and law uh, through those roles at Osgoode as uh, career services and then assistant dean. From there, an opportunity to start something else new, the Internationally Trained Lawyers Program at U of T came up and I'd been at Osgood probably for about 12 years when that opportunity came up and the ability to impact um, uh, the immigrant experience quite directly for law students, yes, uh, was something that appealed to me. Starting something brand new uh, was also something that appealed to me and uh, took that leap. So went from one law school to another law school and started off the Internationally Trained Lawyers Program, you know, working uh, intrapreneurially from the perspective of having boxes with a telephone on it as my first desk at the office and then building this team, building the program, uh, and and developing it from that perspective. Um, stayed there for several years and um, was uh, was invited away for a little bit to MAG, to develop some strategy and learning experiences for lawyers. Um, but around that time, there was also this thing called the LPP in uh, in the works. <laughs> and I uh, had a conversation at some point with uh, once the decision to by the Law Society to let Ryerson start the program uh, about the possibility of, of joining the Ryerson team to develop it. And again, being back in legal education in an educational institution uh, and developing something from scratch, Seemed to be a pattern that I had and uh, made the leap after meeting with Chris for a good couple of hours, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the rest is history, as they say.
3: Well, that sounds really interesting. There's so much to unpack there because it ties upon so many aspects of what you do now in the LPP. So we're definitely going to return to that. Um, Andre, moving to you. I know your story. We've been friends for a little bit now and it's a really good one so let's hear about it how did you get into law uh and how did you move from sort of soil the pot a little bit here but from bay street to where you are now
2: sure thanks a lot sean uh and full disclosure gina and i actually have crossed paths a little bit along the way in her (laughs) her previous roles too and i'll get to that in a bit um much like gina I, i think the 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 germ of law or the thought of about getting into the law started back in high school. Uh, it was a politics and law class to begin with. And it sort of made me become aware that the, the law is really what underpins most of what we do within society and where things are built. And I started to realize that this for me was interesting and I wanted to get involved with it. But what area would I get involved in and how would this happen? Um, I didn't have any clue what the legal industry looked like. I had no clue what the towers on Bay Street represented or in fact, typically what a lawyer would be involved with. And in the end, I realized that I needed to do some homework. So I started to um, reach out to colleagues around me, uh, actually part of my summer job working at one of the retail stores. It turns out her, uh, one of the girls I worked with, her boyfriend was articling on Bay Street. And um, I thought, well, if I'm going to start anywhere, let me find out what this Bay Street thing is all about. So I asked her to, uh, if he could give me some names of firms that I could actually reach out to. Uh, So he did. He gave me a list of the top 10 firms in the city. And uh, I sat down one day after school uh, and just started calling and asking to speak to their HR director. And I figured by doing that, I would probably find out either get the phone hung up on me or find out somebody who'd be interested in hearing or or giving me a bit of insight into what they were involved with. Um, And two of the firms offered me the opportunity to meet with them. I was in high school still. Uh, This was now coming up toward the end of June. And I was asking basically for a summer job in the end. And uh, one of the firms, I met with them and they sat down and said, hey, you know, why don't you? look at our joining our IT group and I thought well what's IT first off I had no clue I didn't realize it was tech back then and then started to uh, describe to me a bit about the role and a bit about the other opportunities in the organization so I thought this was pretty neat and interesting and maybe I'd be pretty lucky if I landed this role Um, so on the way home uh, I called home to say I'm stopping to get a burger and uh, I'll be home a bit late. And before I got home, uh, the phone had rung and my brother says to me, you're starting there on Monday. And I, this was a Friday. And I said, I guess if that's what you're telling me. They said, yeah, they called. Uh, you've got the job. So uh, Just as I finished uh, wrapping up school, here I was now starting on Bay Street in the IT department of one of the big firms uh, that's still around till this day. And I spent a number of years at the firm, about eight years. Uh, It gave me the opportunity to work in in the IT area, the marketing department, and the student programs department. And that gave me a bit of insight into this whole culture of what Bay Street was all about, what commercial and corporate litigation was all about, and in general, what this world could be. And for me, as someone and and as Gina mentioned in her case, um, coming from a family who emigrated here to Ontario and who didn't have any other lawyers as part of their their family group and their immediate network, this was an opportunity, a chance. And I felt take full advantage of it, learn as much as I can. And then I realized this is something I'd be interested in doing. Later, as I move forward, so fast forward to to Osgood, where I I did my legal education. Um, I had the opportunity there to really get exposed to a lot of the business courses, and I really like found those interesting, and I liked them, and it really sort of fit with the uh, work and the experiences that I have been involved with over the summers and over the the time that I spent with with the firm. I realized at that point then that this is sort of where I was going to end up. Bay Street would be the, would be the place. And I had made the switch to another Bay Street firm uh, just before I started uh, my first year at Osgoode. That firm in the end was offering me a summer role and an article role eventually. But I also had a unique opportunity to present itself as well. New York had come to um, to Toronto and uh, they were recruiting as well. And Wall Street then was now an option. And in fact, uh, in her role as the Director of Career Services, Gina was the one who told me that I had been offered uh, an interview with one of the New York firms. And I didn't believe her at first. I told her, <laughs> no, you're kidding, you're kidding, you're kidding. This is just not really the thing. Um, I've, you know, no one's really that interested in me. And she said, no, no, no you should check the list on the on the door uh, as, as you walk by. And uh, I, I resisted for a bit, and then I finally checked, and there was my student number, and I realized, wow, I've got an interview, so what do I do now?
3: How cool is that? You go from IP department so <laughs> yeah. off to wall street off to wall street and and I- you too gina must have been ecstatic about this because anytime someone Absolutely. gets yeah. pointed up to wall street from your own it was fun yeah <laughs> so, so you're off to new york
2: it is right i was off to new york <laughs> and uh, and gina was the one who gave me that news and now i was i was on a new adventure and it was great. It was a great adventure. I ended up uh, with a large Wall Street firm. I was the only Canadian they had hired that summer out of 67 students they had in the program that summer. Uh, and I had summered in Washington, London, New York, and Houston. And I really enjoyed it. I thought this was great. This is the kind of work that I was uh, excited about and I was uh, things that I want to be involved with. And I eventually accepted an associate position with them in the New York office. Uh, so I worked for a number of years doing transactional work and doing things in different industries as part of being in the Capital Markets Group, but then also realized a bit like Gina that um, maybe there's more out there, maybe there's more to do. Uh, my passion for the work was was there, but it was starting to wane a little bit. I wasn't re- uh, experiencing it as much in the way that I had originally, where I thought, you know, all the hours, all the time uh, dedicated to this. Yes, it was helping me and helping my client, but it wasn't really making a big change in the marketplace when it came to our profession and what we were doing. So I started to make uh, some inquiries about what could I do in the non-practicing side of things. And if I was going to do that, I'd rather do that at home here in Toronto. Um, So I made a few outreach efforts and uh, one of the places I contacted happened to be a recruitment firm. And I said to them, why don't you find me a non-practicing role back here in Toronto? And, After chatting with them, I think I'd come in for the Thanksgiving weekend. They said, stay an extra day, meet with us in the morning before you go back to New York. And I said, sure, I can meet with you briefly in the morning. And that conversation that should have taken probably an hour ended up taking three hours. And then mm-hmm. by the time I got home to New York, there was a phone call asking if I'd be interested in joining their team. And I thought, well, first off, I have no idea what you do. Um, and I called them back and said, are you sure about this? And I said, I'm not sure what you're involved with exactly. They said, you know, no, you've got the skills, you've got the, the ability, we'll teach you the ropes of, the, of this game. And I said, okay, fine, let's let's do that and let's see where it takes me. And a year and a half of being in the recruitment industry taught me a lot. It gave me a chance to leverage the skills I gained uh, from practice as well as the skills I gained uh, in my summer and part-time roles with a large firm here in Toronto to be able to help people, help folks look at the profession and look at new opportunities. And I realized I truly enjoyed doing that, helping others uh, and really helping them with their careers. Then I had the, uh, the fortunate opportunity to hear that Osgood uh, was looking for someone to cover their career services office for two years as the director. Funny enough, it was Gina's old role, <laughs> and uh, the second mid, so I, I ended up going up there to meet with Gina. Paths uh, cross all the yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> our paths continue to cross, and then Gina became my boss, actually, up at Osgoode. Uh, and uh, I spent two years uh, working with the students at Osgood, and really I felt uh, being in a position to help folks in all career paths, not just business, not just because my, let's say, income was tied to placing them, but now helping everybody along the way. And for me, that was really exciting and really I was quite passionate about it. Um, Unfortunately, though, it was a two year role. So the person who was in that role just before was now coming back to her role. And that was fine. Uh, So I thought about what would happen next. Do I go back to recruitment or do I continue on in building this career? And then he and Blakey came along, uh, the firm that I had spent seven years with, uh, working as the director of professional development, and really that was a fantastic opportunity something I wasn't immediately looking for, but presented itself. And I was able to build and expand the work that I was doing both in helping my firm grow, but at the same time, I think reaching out to the community and being involved voluntarily with Saba, with uh, Cable, with a bunch of different organizations at faculty as well, uh, and out on Bay Street to be able to help promote the diversity within our profession and to bring that forward. And in fact, um, when we closed our doors at Keenum Blakey back in 2014. Uh, I get this phone call from Gina once again now at this time saying, would you be interested in something called the LPP and then at the first thought of it I said to her well I'm not sure exactly what it's what it's about So, well why don't you come in and maybe meet with Chris Bentley the former attorney General and I'm like whoa okay this sounds interesting Look, why he- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as, as Jesus said in meeting with Chris for a couple hours <laughs> hand shook and and, and and you know the long story short here I am today four and a half years later and it's been a phenomenal ride we've been able to build a, a tremendous strong program helping over 900 individuals find opportunities and really on a variety of different career paths and for me that's exciting that's wonderful it's it's taking our experiences and our stories and now bringing them to life to help blaze a trail for others and i think uh, that's uh, an incredible opportunity so i'm very thankful very grateful for the for the chance and uh looking forward to continuing to build as we go forward
3: all right so let's find out more about uh-huh. the person who convinced you to do it all. well the mm-hmm. two of you i yeah. think there is this is a bit unfair ganging up on. <laughs> tr-
0: truth be told neither one of them took much convincing i think they saw an opportunity to build something and they're both they're both enormously talented and creative individuals, so it, it wouldn't surprise anybody who knows them that they
3: would leap at the opportunity. So, Chris, we only have about an hour, because to go through all your accolades and your history as well, former can, Attorney General, yeah. let's let's hear how it all started to a certain degree, and, and as best you can, uh, tell us about how you ended up here today.
0: So... I was asked this question by a grade five student when I was in politics. I was asking all the grade five kids, uh, "What did you want to be when you when you What do you want to be when you grow up?" and and they gave all sorts of different answers. Um, none of them said politician, and uh, none of them said lawyer. And this one youngster looks up at me and says, uh, "Well, what did you want to be when you were our age?" And I looked at him and I said, "I wanted to be a star hockey player for the Toronto Maple Leafs." Now this is in my hometown of London, Ontario, and, and some of them cheered, and some of them had other favorite teams. And then I delivered what I thought was the winning line. I said, that was a time when the Leafs were actually winning the Stanley Cup. And you know, without missing a beat, this guy looks up at me and he says, oh, you must be prehistoric. <laughs> well, suffice it to say, the career with the Toronto Maple Leafs did not work out. <laughs> And then I had my heart set on politics, but I realized I wasn't going to get elected out of high school uh, or at the beginning of university. So uh, I thought I would do the next best thing, become a lawyer and save the world one person at a time. And I did that for 23 years and criminal defense work, uh, some labor work, uh, taught part-time at uh, Western's Law School for 10 years. Um, And then I finally decided in 2002 that if I was ever going to do the Um, Politics, I had to do it. So I got a nomination, knocked on doors for 14 months, and uh, got elected, elected three times. Uh, Very privileged to serve the people of my riding, London West, and the people of Ontario for 10 years. Five different portfolios during the 10 years, including four years as Attorney General. And when I left that in 2013, the president of Ryerson at the time, Sheldon Levy, asked me to come and do something. With them, Um, and uh, Sheldon and I knew each other from my time in politics. I became the Minister of Training Colleges and Universities about the same time he became the president of Ryerson, and during our first meeting he said to me that they needed some money for a new learning center, because at the time the students, uh, he said they had the the, uh, smallest library per student in Canada, and my youngest daughter started in Ryerson about two and a half months later and I asked her how it was going during her uh, first week and and she she said it was going really well Uh, but you know dad um, you got to do something about their library they have the smallest library space per student in Canada so I picked up the phone I phoned Sheldon and said okay you got to leave my daughters out of the lobbying (laughs) Well, that turned out well. Ryerson got a learning center eventually through the hard work of many, many other people. Um, but when I left politics, he said, well, how about coming and doing something at Ryerson? I said, well, what would that be? Well, you could teach. I said, well, I did that for 10 years. That that was good. I enjoyed that. Um, he said, well, we're interested in a law school. And I said, well, that's interesting, but we do have 20 in the country, all of which do a very good job. Job So if you wanted a law school, it has to be something fundamentally different. And he also said that the um, law society is looking for an alternate licensing path called the LPP. And, and I uh, said to him, well, there, there's a path to get that, or at least to apply for it, that could strengthen your pitch for a law school. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, go ahead. And so we put in a proposal. Um, I was part of a team to get the LPP. We got it, and then we had nine months to put it together. Um, (laughs) Sounds like a reasonable timeline, something that hadn't been done, Uh, and uh, we got some magical people involved, uh, Gina and Andre and a number of others, and uh,
3: the rest is history. Well, so, you know, a lot of people, they, they read about the LPP and they've heard about it in lawyers, magazines, and things like that, but... Tell us what exactly is the LPP program, and I know there's been an evolution over time too, but how do you, what is your elevator pitch on the LPP? Um, Chris, let's start with you.
0: The LPP is a licensing path set up as an equivalent licensing path to the traditional articling one, and the way we provide it is four months of training, intensive four months of training, and four months of continuous training that's a work placement so it's a total of eight months, which will provide you with all of the requirements for your call to the bar as outlined by the Law Society. But that's only part of what we do. Mm -hmm. Our goal from the beginning, and what we say to the candidates when they come on day one, is we're going to give you exactly what the Law Society requires for your call to the bar, but we're gonna do more. We're going to better position you for success. And that means we're going to do a lot of additional training. We're also going to get you to think about the law and the delivery of legal services in a different way. So you can better serve consumers, individuals and businesses in whatever whatever form. And you're going to be able to recognize that the delivery of legal services is starting to change and that change will accelerate. So we want you to not only be able to take advantage of change, we want you to be able to take advantage of tra- change as well as to manage change mm-hmm. uh, so it's a licensing process and it's to better position you for success in your future career whatever that is
3: it's really interesting you know as you're saying this i'm i i you know, it's, it's obvious in retrospect, but you realize how much thought goes into the actual planning. And I think that's a serious um, advantage over traditional articles because a lot of articles start with the idea that, oh, I need an articling student, we're busy, they can run around and do some research, but no real thought is put into, generally speaking, the idea of who is this person going to be in five years? Who are they going to be when they become a lawyer even? Uh, How are they going to make sure that they survive if they're not still within the firm? Because the perspective is often looked internally to say, our goal is to make sure that they still fit. And if we have enough work, we'll have them back. Whereas you're describing a process where it is very much about creating a competent lawyer in Ontario upon graduation. I think that's a really... Uh, interesting and and almost well really necessary perspective on how we train students.
0: And, and if I could just pick up on that um, before you turn to Andrea and Gina because what we decided from the beginning is this is not going to look like a university-based program. Mm-hmm. This is of the profession, by the profession, for the profession. And so bringing people who have different perspectives, you know, Gina's perspective and her history, Andre's perspective, his history, the perspective of the Ontario Bar Association that we uh, joined up very early on with to uh, draw on the experience of their members, the experience of practitioners such as yourself, uh, in developing the ideal training program, I think positioned it differently than what you would get at almost any
3: articling experience. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> so, Gina, um, what? how would you describe a day-to-day uh, of an LPP uh, student, um, and how does it compare to other articles from what you've seen in your experience as placement um, so, supervisors?
1: So one of the things that we did very intentionally from the get-go was to, um, everything that we said and did was gonna be on the basis of uh, work, not school. So from the language that we use, so our, our students are actually candidates. They are licensing mm-hmm. candidates. So we really made an intentional and conscious decision to set everything up in the context of a simulated work environment for the first part, and then they go off onto a, uh, a real work placement in the second half. And that was consciously decided because as Chris said, what we wanted them to do was leave their student days behind. They benefited from that. They learned from that. They bring that to the table, but then they start their professional career. Even though we are housed within the context of a university, this is really the beginning of their licensing training. And we wanted to vi- have a, a very specific um, uh, messaging for that. So our candidates uh, come to work, not to school during the training mm-hmm. component. The focus on the, on the, on, in the training component is on the competencies that are necessary for early, uh, early associates, early lawyers in the profession, and and those were significantly um, what we were looking at as we were developing the the program. So yes, they are um, informed. We are informed by the federation's requirements of competencies, but they are the the skills such as incompetence of of um, professionalism and ethics, communication, oral and written. Analysis, research, again, legal research, critical, but also factual research. You're meeting clients, you're getting information from them, you're doing due diligence. How does that relate? Uh, and then the two that I think are surprising to many people because you don't typically think about them, definitely not in law school and, and sometimes not even in articling, practice management and client management introducing candidates sometimes for the first time to those competencies and skills is part of the the four-month program. Mm-hmm. So we have them for four weeks, four months, pardon me. <laughs> uh, four months goes by quickly, but for four months. And um, they are put into virtual law firms, VLS, virtual law firms, where they work with colleagues. And teamwork is, again, not something that is the norm within legal education but certainly the norm in practice you need to work with other people and so having them with colleagues and paired up with a mentor from the profession uh, they then engage in file work and Chris mentioned before and we we might get to a little later that the file work really is generated and created by subject matter experts who are lawyers in the field and they carry out the assignments from uh, from people who are carrying out very similar, requiring similar assignments in the field. Um, the other thing that I want to say is that one of the requirements, because there is a, a, a French version of the LPP at University of Ottawa, which is in person, one of our requirements was that the, we had to create a program that was virtual, that was um, that would allow people from wherever they might be to participate in the program. So in that nine month uh, lead up to the day that we had to launch uh, in August of, of 2014, we had to ensure that people could actively participate regardless if they were in the city of toronto if they were in kingston if they were in north bay if they were in ottawa uh, regardless of where they might be located physically they needed to be able to access the program so they do so by a number of different tools that we have available for them to meet each other meet their mentors uh, meet their clients and i'll I'll, I'll speak to the client issue momentarily Um, and on the same front Because we were a a program that is meant for Ontario lawyers, it was very important for us. And and every year, Chris, uh, you know, looks to me for those stats in terms of ensuring that our mentors reflected both uh, gender diversity, uh, the province of Ontario as well. Mm -hmm. So we have mentors who are across the province. And so they needed to be able to access our program as well because... Apart from three in-person weeks here at Ryerson, one in August when we launch, one in October and one in December, the rest of the weeks, the rest of the 14 weeks are completed virtually and online.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So just uh, as, a, as, a, as an update for that, um, we have a program that allows candidates to meet with clients and the clients uh, are actors who are trained in simulations uh, to help develop that client management expertise or skill f- for, for our candidates.
3: I just going to pause there because yeah. there's a really interesting issue and it's often a point of controversy because people will say, well, it's not a real experience because you have actors and they're not real clients. Um, and not to sort of answer your question for you, but you know, as being part of the mentor, I've seen it firsthand. And uh, part of what I've reflected upon is, is the idea that, you know, as an articling student, um, and certainly within our firm, and we, we don't even hire articling students anymore, partly for this reason, is that students don't interact with the clients. You don't get to sit down with a client and interview them about what they did or didn't do as it relates to a very serious criminal offense. That's reserved for the lawyers. So what do you say to the critics who say, um, you know, this is all fake, this isn't real, they're not gonna be well equipped because they don't understand what's really happening out there and
1: Two points to that. The, the first part is that these actors are specifically trained in, uh, in this role. It's not just actors who are playing a role, but they are playing a role uh, for the purpose of developing the competencies in our candidates. So mm-hmm. they are part of a team called the Interpersonal Skills Teaching Center here at Ryerson, and they have trainings before the program starts, during the, tra- uh, during the program. So they're there to um, evoke uh, certain responses or to push certain skills in the candidates. And the second part, apart from the training that the, the simulators get um, with a fabulous team that we have at the ISTC, is that the candidate experience, when I when I when we receive feedback from the candidates and they tell us that maybe for a minute they realize that the person is an actor, but once the meeting carries on, they forget that the person is an actor and all of a sudden they are our criminal client or they are the family law uh, uh, party that is in crisis because the tears happen and then you have to be able to deal with that or they're nervous and you still have to manage how to get information from them so you can then do the rest of your job. So the feedback from the candidates across the board is the realism that uh, comes from being able to meet with clients. And the other thing that I will mention is that it's not just a one-time meet. So the ISTC previously, before they partnered with us, um, would do simulations sort of for half days for the business school, or typically it's for nursing and social sciences, where they have uh, their assessments based on uh, on the actors who play simulated patients. Well, we expanded that, and so it's the same client um, – actor simulator, who... The candidates will see on an ongoing basis for the four months. So I meet you as my client in during one of the first interviews. I'll then have to follow up with you later on so that I can give you some information. And then I'll have to be able to meet with you later on to get some information or give you some uh, updates and then prepare you for trial. So just so,
3: like a real case, this could last for months and you're interacting with the client the same way they would. And
1: it's the same client. Unless the actor gets a gig somewhere else, sure, typically sure. it's the same client. And they build the relationship. And yeah. by the, I, I know that all of us have experienced that at the uh, last assessment in December at the courthouse, where there are some some emotional goodbyes between clients and lawyers, because they've now worked together for four months. Uh, our trial processes, by the way, as an aside, go by a lot quicker than any other trial processes, but we'll leave that.
3: <laughs> One thing that, you know, as, as you say this, um, that I think is, is um, lost when we're, you know, it's, comparing the real versus the actors is that in the real, you're not critiqued until you're fired. And even then you kind of move on. And it it kind of comes back to what you're saying originally with your parents who sort of felt that this, at least you felt that their experience, it's not like people had great uh, client relation skills going through the standard articling process. At least here, it seems like there's a conscientious uh, focus on what uh, needs to be done and how they can improve and how clients are reacting it's sort of getting behind that because you know like i said until you're fired you really have no idea whether you're doing a good or a poor job um, andre i, I want to ask you how does this um, lpp from what you see compare to the standard dream articles because let's face it i mean you you got something that would be the archetypal. Uh, objective of many article students or sorry law students and and I think largely that's driven by marketing and other factors. It's not to say that the LPP isn't even better, um, but when you compare the two, uh, how do you?
2: What have you learned from that? And and how do you how do you see the benefits from the LPP? Sure, I think both you and Gina touched on this a little bit. Is that there's a fundamental difference in the design of the way things are structured? Um, the LPP is focused on the candidate it's designed around giving them the opportunity to develop experiences and skills whereas the traditional articling route or whether you're in a large firm you're in government you're in somewhere else you're doing the work that comes in the door And really, in the end, that's how your training evolves. You get trained on what comes in. No one's sitting down to figure out, well, are you getting this, are you getting that, are you being exposed to this, and are you also being given feedback as part of the process uh, over those 10 months? So you're really, uh, depending on the situation you're in, getting a variety of different types of experiences, and even within the same organization. Take the big firm that I was with. uh, You might have 18 students, but of those 18, uh, each of them are having different types of experiences throughout the period. Not to say that they're not being trained, but they're being trained in what they've been exposed to and what they've chosen to pursue, and then where that may take them. And being trained for the environment that hopefully they're going to be hired back into, and then continue to build upon. But what if you're not hired back? What if you're, you've decided this isn't the place you wanna be and there's other work that you wanna pursue? Where are the other skills coming from? And that's where the LPP has the advantage. Over the course of those four week, four months sorry, uh, that are uh, quite intense and rigorous, you're getting a chance to touch 120 different tasks. You're also getting feedback on those tasks, but you're also being exposed to seven different areas of law. So you may come in, and this happens within the, the firm side of things. I really want to be a litigator. This is really what I want to focus on. And all of a sudden, halfway through the articles, it's sort of, mm, actually, I kind of think I'm more a solicitor. And I want to get in now onto this side. But now that's in the last five months or three months of your articles. Have you made enough uh, networking opportunities with the folks in those areas? Have you had a chance to develop the experiences and are you going to now get hired into that area? But
3: even Pro- then, I mean, like you look yeah. in someone like yourself who's gone and done everything right as far as the business side. You've gone to Wall Street and, and Bay Street and all these other opportunities. You know, if you, Uh, say, you know, early on in your practice, as many lawyers do, you know what? I really want to be an immigration lawyer. I really want to be a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, The chance of you switching lanes like that quickly and effectively. Very,
2: very limited and very, very difficult from the perspective that, one, your substantive knowledge won't be there. But in addition to that, you won't have all the other skills that come with it. And that's where the LPP has the advantage, because you're getting to develop all those core skills that are not just about being called to the bar, as Chris mentioned. But it's about going beyond that and finding that success. So if you decide that you want to hang out your own shingle later on, you've already got the business skills, the appreciation of what happens within practice, and how to start developing the organization and the structure around yourself to be able to to do that. Could I do that coming out of a big Bay Street or Wall Street firm? Not at all. In fact, the accounting department took care of all the bills. They took care of the trust accounts. They took care of this. What was I doing? Well, I was focused on the legal work for that particular client in that particular area. Um, So it is a different type of experience. It's not to knock it though, because I've got to say, if someone's interested in doing something particular, this is where they want to end up and this is the experiential part that they want to pursue by all means but the reality shows us that a lot of folks coming out of law school aren't necessarily always fully aware of what they're getting into whereas something like the lpp gives you the chance to really experiment really experience and maybe make that switch as you're developing experience in these seven areas of law so maybe i came in thinking i was going to become that family lawyer but really now it turns out that i prefer litigation in the labor and employment context of it and the administrative file is exposed to that or I thought I was going to do business and really, wow, uh, that criminal case has really opened up uh, my eyes to what I really like and my passion is, and I'm doing that. Um, And that's why I think the program offers a much more uh, grand experience, if you will, an opportunity because it's focused on giving the candidate, that former law student, the opportunity to get experience and it's designed around them. Uh, So the files are created for them to get exposure to have the twists and turns. It's not about just waiting for the file to walk in the door.
3: Yeah, Um, you know that's in 2018 in particular, and this is part of the reason the LPP um, uh, is is in place, is that a lot of people were having a hard time finding articles because there is only so many jobs out there in the market. And, you know, it's almost the age of the side hustle where everyone's sort of, in general, not just in law, but in the world, everyone's sort of looking for quick movement from, from entrepreneurial set to entrepreneurial set. And, you know, it's interesting because as you're saying this, um, you know, I, as you know, I, I have a chambers where a lot of lawyers come and start up their practice. And people, when they start off, will often say, um, I'm concerned about getting into the law. And the first question I ask them is, what is a concern? And the answer is always substantive. I don't know criminal law, I don't know real estate. And that's never the answer. The answer is, uh, do you know how to be a business person? Because now you are that, you just happen to be settling law and, and what you're describing is you're equipping the people to do that. Um, Absolutely. And allowing yeah. them to
2: move forward. Yeah, those core skills are fundamental for whatever you're gonna do. The other piece of this though too is that uh, we know that there's a huge untapped portion of the marketplace where there there are employers looking for folks that are qualified and trained to help them out. Maybe not for the 10-month period, but for a shorter window and looking to add to their business model, whether it's in-house, government, small and sole practices across the province, as well as the clinic environment. So as, through the LPP, we've been able to tap into that unmet need within the marketplace to create new opportunities, close to 900 over the last uh, little while. And in addition to that, provide employers with folks who can dive right in. Um, One of the the regular refrains that we get from employers uh, as we check in with them during the course of the work placement is that, I was so surprised that your candidate was able to hit the ground running, that they could get involved, that they could contribute. And in fact, you know, our response is, well, that's number one, what we promised you, but it's also what we promised them and what we were able to deliver upon by giving them that type of exposure.
3: Well, I want to return to that because the the placement is such an important part of all this, and I think that's something that's often overlooked as well, that people don't see that there is actually a, a placement component to this, that, uh, you know, people just see it as the LPP program and that's that, but, but it's just as much a part of the program. But before we get to that, um, Chris, I want to ask you, um, uh, what does a, a day-to-day look like for the director of the LPP?
0: Well, with me, it's much different than when we got the contract. Uh, so in the early days, it was um, trying to figure out what this could look like. It was finding the right people to build it. It was making sure we were headed in the right direction. It was engaging the bar. It was figuring out where the placements would come from. And now it's uh, a a constant challenge with the profession, to get them to understand what it is and who the people are. Um, and it's um, it's a bit of visioning to see where the legal profession might be going in five or 10 years' time and to try and position the candidates so that they're on the leading edge and they'll be able to take advantage of opportunities. So I I wear a couple of hats. One is the managing director of the Law Practice Program, the other is the managing director of the Legal Innovation Zone, which is something that we started up separate from the LPP. But they really come together in a sense because the Legal Innovation Zone is all about how uh, new ways of delivering legal services might impact consumers of those services, and obviously impact the profession. And we can bring that experience to further enliven the training experience of LPP candidates.
3: What a great feedback loop! Because you're seeing what's working or not working within the innovation, and then being able to apply that directly into it. Um, so, you know, I can ask you generally what uh, what do you think are some of the real highlights of the program? Something that. Uh, uh, the LPP offers that the other um, traditional articling experience just doesn't have I mean there's so many there I know lots, yeah. But, but so if we many could many just sort of hit the highlights you know in bullet form what do you think well, just the top
1: 300 please <laughs> There's there are lots um one of the highlights for me is uh, a consistent um, feedback that we get from the candidates, whether it's in December when the training ends or in uh, at our ceremony in June, um, about the increased confidence that the program has mm-hmm. helped them develop. And you know, if it only came up once or twice, I'd say, okay, it's an anomaly. But when we hear it consistently, that they are able to feel far more confident when they now approach an employer or the work that they're, they're dealing with, there's something positive that comes out of that. They've experienced something in the past that has obviously helped them get to that. And I think part of the the uh, the programming that we do is, you know, we we talk about the feedback loop. So yes, we get the feedback loop programmatically, but for the individuals, this is very intentional. Come and do something, get feedback for it, make your mistakes, take that feedback, do it over again. And keep practicing. And that loop is something that continues for the eight months. So when we hear them say that through that process, you know, this thing that we've put together, um, they come out as confident future colleagues, and we always, you know, think about them as our future colleagues and members of the profession. I think that's sort of a, a very general overall highlight, but there's so many specific components of them. Uh, I'll let the two of you sort of add to that.
2: One of the biggest highlights f- for me and for uh, the team is that when an employer comes back and says to us after four months i'm gonna hire full-time i was not intending on creating a job but i've got someone who can get the job done who's been trained well and who's been Become indispensable in our practice. Whether Do you it's see in-house. that a lot? We, in fact, we see it quite often. And for us, that has become really one of the uh, the big the big points of success because you created a job where no job previously existed uh, and no one was looking for it. But also to hear the employer then, in some instances, and this has happened to us a few times over the years and in quite a few, where they happen to have an article student and they happen to have an LPP candidate and there's one full time job they're able to create. And our candidate ends up uh, having the opportunity to get that job because they've come in there better prepared to demonstrate in just four months what they can bring to the table and what they're capable of doing. And for us, that's wonderful to see. But in addition to that, it, you know, the fact that many of our employers, many of them, the vast majority of them, would not have hired a student but for the LPP because they really didn't have the time to train, didn't have the ability to go through hundreds of resumes and didn't have the ability really to think about you know what can this person offer me and how can I integrate them into what we're doing? And as part of the program in the the placement component, we work with them to help them appreciate that, help to take all of the complications out of them becoming uh, a supervising lawyer. There's no paperwork that they've got to fill out. They've got to do a one page employer profile form for us, and then we take care of the rest of it for them to make this hiring process very straightforward, very simple. And then on top of it, we can support them over the course of the four months.
1: And now our candidates are also in the positions at those firms where they're um, recommending uh, the employer hire LPP candidates for yeah. placement. So it's actually exactly. really nice to it, be seeing it, our alumni now. out it, there now.
2: In year four, we're, we're getting the opportunity now to see uh, those voices come up and say, you know, what about us taking someone on board uh, in return? And it, it's wonderful. I think um, the, the spectrum of opportunities um, and one of the biggest places where we've been able to create an impact is the in-house legal market Um, as we all know that's one of the biggest hopping areas at the moment within the legal marketplace because a number of these clients are deciding whether they spend the money outside or they bring someone internal on a junior level to be able to, to grow. And our candidates have been able to fill that niche very well. And as part of the corporate council intensive that we have here as part of the training component, they know what they're getting because they help contribute to it and they help to determine some of the th- skills that are going to be necessary as part of that experience. So we've seen uh, 30% of our placements each year uh, come from that, that sector, and that's been wonderful.
3: Isn't that ironic, though, that you know part of the... It, a really nice irony that the part of the reason the LPP was started is because people couldn't find placements in the job market, and now the job market is actually being expanded. And you know, I, I, from looking from the outside too, at other lawyers, I, there's there's often a lot of work that lawyers have available, and from a financial point of view, they're fine, except they're such poor business people that they don't really understand how to harness all that. And the LPP programs seem to be able to come in and say, did you know that you know there's these technologies that you can use and it becomes easier, and all of a sudden their businesses become more successful. So I think
0: you've hit on something really, really important. And you'd see that from the work that you do with the people in your chambers and the entrepreneurial skills that you help instill in people. Uh, there are a huge number of consumers, individuals and businesses, who don't look to lawyers in Ontario, Canada, North America, the world, for legal advice and services, where they should. Mm -hmm. That's a huge amount of money every year that the legal profession leaves on the table. And yet, within the profession, too often, we try to address that challenge through a traditional approach. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do the same thing in the same way, you're gonna get pretty much the same result. So one of the things that we try and instill in people is The traditional is fantastic, has a lot of benefits, Mm -hmm. but if there's an unmet need out there, think of doing things differently. Uh, Be confident enough in your skills that by doing it differently, you're not diminishing the value of what you do, but you are looking maybe to technology, maybe a different uh, structure of business, maybe a different package of services you're giving, and you bring other people to the table. You know, we've been We've been very much a profession that has set itself apart and has looked at things through a certain lens. So within this program, we have people from all over the world, trained in all different legal systems. There is a there's a diversity of experience, many with work experience, uh, that they get to share in during their eight months together, particularly the first four months. <laughs> we involve other professions in the training. We uh, are unashamed and are leaping from where we are at Rarison out to see professionals like yourself, to get them involved. And I think in order to best address the needs of consumers in the 21st century, strange to talk about people with legal needs as consumers right not mm-hmm. clients
3: we're all consumers of uh, we're all
0: <laughs> consumers. i think we need to see ourselves as part of a bigger picture mm-hmm. and when we do and that's one of the goals with the program when we do uh the lawyers of this century are going to be so much stronger for it and i'm absolutely confident they can compete with the best mm-hmm in whatever discipline.
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we say consumers as almost as if it's like a, a bad word, but I think that's often how lawyers look at their skill set in that—that that it's almost um, beneath them to be p- charging for the work that they do. In fact, you know the whole—the whole gown that we have as lawyers was because it was beneath us to be able to accept money in court, and so people had to put it in the hood in the back, or at least so the story mm-hmm. goes. Um, and I think there's still remnants of that where it's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's it's, it's almost unseemly to accept funds, but yet consumers, as I see it, really don't have a problem as long as they're getting value from. In fact they don't even mind paying larger costs as long as the is there. So Gina, to use your parents, for example, I mean, the reason they wouldn't go back to the lawyer is not because um, it was too expensive, it's because the value of what they're um, getting wasn't there. I mean, we all like to go to the Apple store and spend enormous amounts of money on fancy computers that we may not need, but the value uh, and the experience is something very different than we get in a law office. Chris, I have another question for you. Um, Because when you look at clearly what Andre is describing is um, value that's being added back into Ontario. And from a political point of view, does that not then uh, be a pretty strong voice to go back to the politicians and say, uh, I think we need to recalibrate?
0: So thank you so much for the question. (laughs) Legal innovation is a huge economic opportunity for Ontario. The legal profession is starting to change and is about to change rapidly throughout the world, and no country has yet got a monopoly on this change. It is a perfect opportunity for Ontario to position itself, Canada position itself, so that we take uh, take advantage of the unmet legal need and the other related opportunities. That will attract jobs and investment here, it will keep jobs and investment that might otherwise depart. It will engage other and lift other sectors of society. The reality is we often talk about um, uh, building a 21st century economy, but you can't build a 21st century economy on a 19th century legal system. That is not going to happen. And so that country that gets it right first, where... You have to resolve contractual disputes in real time, not over years. You have to get answers to legal issues in real time, not over months. You have to be able to find ways that people of different countries, different parts of society can work together easily and understand their rights and obligations. That has to happen across borders now. The legal system has to be able to support that. Um, You know, the rest of society is going to distance itself from the profession unless the profession figures out how to continue to be the foundation of society. And I think that's what law is. So what we're doing in a tiny, tiny, tiny way with hundreds of candidates a year through this program is putting that seed into their head that they can actually be leaders. That's what this is. Mm -hmm. It's legal leadership It's social leadership. It's economic leadership. The moment that Ontario fully adopts an innovation approach to the law, we're going to have a stronger society, more jobs, and a brighter
3: future for all the lawyers who adopt it. We need to get rid of the slogan of faxing our way into the future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the go. Back to the future. That's back yeah. to the future. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that futuristic fax, Gina. Where do you see the LPP in five years? Where would you like to see it in five years from now?
1: Well, I think Chris is um, the when we started off by saying this is a program where we're looking at people's success. I think that really is the uh, the the response that um, being able to appreciate and understand the alumni who've gone through it and see them succeeding within the profession as leaders in in law, uh, I think is critical. And I think that acceptance and that appreciation and that continuing work towards ensuring that the candidates who go through, the alumni, because we're still connected with our alumni in, in, in solid ways, um, find their ways and are embracing some of the seed uh, and have developed those seeds that we've planted sort of, if you will, in the first four years. So seeing the experience that they have taken from here and really, really moving that forward. And we're seeing that already with a number of our alumni who keep telling us what they're up to. So I think from the perspective of where we go forward, um, recognizing what we've planted and seeing that grow and develop for sure is something that we'd be looking at.
3: Right. And, you know, from what I can see, there's definitely a move away from a stigmatization of the LPP Mm -hmm. into a badge of honor. And where it becomes something where you're saying we need an LPP student because we need this element of innovation. What about you, Andre? Where would you like to see the LPP in five years beyond what we've
2: said? Well, I, I see the skills continuing to build the way that Chris just mentioned. Uh, in leveraging our partner, Liz, uh, one of the areas where the new tech comes out, our new Processes come in, uh, our candidates are further developing those skills and helping them to take it to the marketplace. Uh, I think one of the problems right now is getting that innovation into the marketplace becomes a bit difficult because folks are still set in their ways. But our candidates now, through their experiences, are you saying uh,
3: lawyers? Lawyers in, right.
2: in particular, I mm-hmm. think they're quite resistant still to looking at how to do things a bit differently. But it, as the consumers, the consumer pressures come up, as the candidates come in with those skills and opportunities, and sometimes maybe the the innovation that allows them to challenge the existing model, uh, they're able to then help grow this as we go. We're gonna see jobs out there that we hadn't even thought about today. And that's what we're preparing candidates for. And that's where I hope, over the next number of years, our candidates come to us and are telling us, hey, by the way, what about this and what about that? Um, And as we continue to take the pulse of the marketplace and get feedback from our folks that are out there, we're gonna continue to evolve and, and grow. Every year that we've been around for the last four years has not been, we've built it, now let's just watch it hum. In fact, every year, Chris brings us to the table and says, what can we do differently and how can we continue to make it better? And how can we continue to make it more responsive uh, to what we're seeing out there? And that challenge for us, I think, will continue. And it's a challenge that we're all excited about because we see the results of it every day as we come in. So. <laughs>
1: And I think it's a, it's a model that we really have, um, we're not just asking the candidates to do it, but we very much embrace that as well. So that entrepreneurial, intrapreneurial mindset of, um, Look. Let's grow. Let's get the feedback. Let's change and adapt and grow as we need, keeping what's re- really, really highlighted and what works well, and then including additional components and and um, uh, getting working with the feedback that we get from the profession, from the candidates, from our mentors, from our assessors, from our work placement employers. Um, one of the things that I wanted to also say is. You know, Chris, uh, it, the team really, um, we've got a great team overall. And one of the things that's encouraged is, okay, think about what we could do to, uh, to add to add value. And it's always the add value and, and we can try things. So, you know, a couple of years back, we talked about emotional intelligence and leadership skills for our candidates. We have not for four months, but at least talking about that, doing even one workshop and thinking about how to expand that because our candidates are going to be future lawyers and leaders in the profession. And so getting them thinking about that right from the get-go, right from the time that they start the licensing process and keeping that um, dialogue going is critical. So we try something. If it works, great. If it hasn't worked, um, um, Will adapt it in the in the future, but introducing those components that build not just the substantive knowledge that lawyers need to know, but the competencies to really allow them to to move forward in the profession.
3: Ajay, you said something about you know jo- I, uh, This is a really interesting. Uh, statement. He said, there are jobs in the future that we can't even Mm -hmm. contemplate as lawyers. And I totally agree with you. I mean, we've seen this with technology. You know, who would have thought 10 years ago that you could become a a very successful entrepreneur by posting pictures on (laughs) on your phone? And here we are. Um, So let me ask you, this is sort of a nice segue into the placement um, that you're your LPP program uh, does for its candidates. What are some of the really interesting and innovative placements that you've seen come where you think, oh my gosh, look at this cool placement. Is something I've never even heard of. Is there anything like that?
2: So when we look at uh, a number of our, our partners, uh, the employers, let's take one of them as an example, looking at in-house, how do uh, restructure the work that they're doing so one of our junior candidates uh, who's part of their their team now is a junior lawyer is helping them to be able to look at their contract process and make it a much more efficient process no more are you hunting around for one of those expiry terms coming those deadlines that are happening and then having to redraft from scratch each time but in fact be part of a, a precedent type system which they've been exposed to here at the LPP through one of our partners ClauseHound how do you make this process a bit more automated how do you make it better uh, so it's more efficient and that's one of the things that some of the folks are currently working on in fact for a large insurer in, in, in as part of their process uh, but then when you look at the individualized services that are being offered uh, from sole practitioners we're seeing them now leverage the tools that they can on their iPad on their uh, on their phone and uh, online that'll help them come together to offer those services in a more affordable way to the consumer this isn't going to take the lawyer X number of hours to be able to do to put this together. But in fact, here's what it's about gonna cost and here's how we can deliver that. So our candidates are involved in doing that. Um, When you look at compliance and regulatory areas within the marketplace, an area that is completely, completely mushrooming and, and growing. And um, our candidates, because of their administrative exposure, because of the opportunities they've had within the program, are ready to take advantage of that, but also bring their skills to make it a better process. Um, so for us, that's wonderful to see. Now, where the next jobs come from, I I couldn't imagine to tell you, but I do know that the skills that they're developing now will allow them to be adaptable to the future and allow them to be able to go into their tool chest and say, I know I can tackle that because I've got the leadership skills, the entrepreneurial skills, the initiative, and the ability to be able to look at that differently and recognize that looking at something differently isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing.
3: So Chris, I, you know, h- hearing this, I, I imagine you now back in Queen's Park making a pitch um, to all your fellow politicians about why it's so important to uh, invest in this approach and the jobs that can come from it. And, you know, if if there, well, I know there are some politicians that listen to this, this podcast. Um, what would you say about the idea that, you know, we should stick with the traditional model, we don't need another law school in Ontario, Um, you know, what would be your response?
0: Well, I think there are a number of reasons why you need a different approach to legal education and preparation. Um, First is the economic one that we talked about earlier. You can't have a 21st century economy on a, a legal system of a different century. And that's unfortunately for the most part what we have. Uh, We need a confident, outward looking, a global one, one that recognizes and values diversity. I think secondly, uh, to benefit the people in society who need legal help. It's clear and many people have tried a lot of things over the decades. When I left law school, we were talking about access to justice. Mm -hmm. Now it's slightly different. But we're still talking about access to justice. And notwithstanding the excellent work, a lot of pro bono work, a lot of uh, <clears throat> low budget legal aid work done by wonderful people. And we are where we are. So as Einstein said, you do the same stuff in the same way, you're going to get the same result. <laughs> Time to think differently. I'm with Einstein on this one. So I, <clears throat> I would say to my colleagues that for the economy, you've got to, you've got to open it up. Don't be afraid of change. Embrace the innovation in the law that we talk about outside. I would say uh, for the benefit of consumers, whether they're individuals or businesses, you need a 21st century approach based on the strength of of the traditional, but with an openness um, and a willingness to experiment that the 21st century requires. And I would say for the future lawyers, and I wanna speak very directly to the future lawyers, No matter which way you're getting licensed, look around you. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: You know, flip on your device. You can hear Elon Musk talking about getting to Mars. You talk about the newest Apple or Microsoft or Google innovation. You can use your device and get legal information on any problem in almost any jurisdiction in the world in less than five minutes. What's your place in the future? Is it to be an acceptor of what we have done when I left law school? Or is it to be a leader where you're serving the people that need to be served in the way they need to be served? And if you accept that it's important to be a leader, then you're going to be willing to do it differently, and you're gonna recognize that training, to come back to the law school idea, is going to be what the Ryerson Law School says it needs to be. It's training people who can serve consumers, individuals and businesses in the way they need to be served. And it's not just law, it's much more than law, but law at its center. I'm I'm excited about the possibilities and I am confident that somebody, within the next five years, is going to start training people to achieve those possibilities. Whether the politicians lead or follow, will be up to them. Mm -hmm. But I'm reasonably certain that our candidates will be among the leaders because we have been telling that from the beginning. And will you let me just add one more thing? I'm really heartened by the fact that so many people in the profession, a profession we often look upon as traditional, are prepared to participate in this program, which was not traditional. So you, your fellow mentors, hundreds of uh, lawyers have stepped up To be part of the training, part of the work placement, knowing that we're doing something a little different.
3: And I should just add, and sorry to interrupt, but if you look down the roster of who (laughs) these mentors are, these are, um, you know, I'm not including myself in this, but they are the who's who. Well, you should of, include. <laughs> you should. You know, when you look to, um, you know, people like Ian Hall and Wills in the States and, and mm-hmm. so on and so on. I mean, there, there's so many uh, That's right. Uh, leaders, right, that, that you get to learn from the best. And,
0: and they have taken that, you and they have taken this traditional commitment to colleagues in the profession, to making sure they're better, and have combined it with a new approach that looks to the future, it really is heartening to see that. Mm-hmm. And the candidates really, really appreciate it. So thank you, and thank all of your colleagues for doing that.
3: Well, I, I certainly will track them down. And <laughs> hunt them down. So, Andre, uh, you know, we've, we went off a script a long time ago here. So. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, we're getting to a point where um, people's commutes in Toronto even are going to uh, – are going to expire, if you can imagine that. So I'll, I'll in my final uh, question, I'll ask you, what, what's something that you feel you've taken meaning from over the past three years? What is something that you just are, are really thankful for being part of the LPP program?
2: The possibilities and the opportunity. I think mean, that's the most extraordinary part of this. When I began this journey four and a half years ago with Chris and Gina and the team, I um, the opportunities for jobs, for change, the ability to look at our profession from a different perspective. We all get sort of hemmed into our bubble uh, that we are a part of in, in whatever we're doing. But this program has really opened up my eyes and I think it's opened up the eyes of many within the profession and outside of the profession to what the options and possibilities can be. And as Chris mentioned, if we are wise enough um, and strong enough to rise to the challenge and take advantage of it we can make a wholesale change that will help to really bring our profession into the 21st century and give consumers what they've been needing for way too long and at the same time provide opportunities for those who want to join uh, so for me that's the biggest po- part of the meeting that i've taken away from this uh, and uh, i keep fingers crossed and keep working hard and think that we can definitely make an impact as we go forward
3: and Gina, my last question to you is, for someone who is very involved in student recruitment and uh, student placement, uh, all your experience, if you were back at your desk in Osgood and sitting down with one of those students who really couldn't decide whether they want to pursue the LPP program or not, what could you promise that student at the completion, successful completion of their LPP program? Hmm. If-
1: Great question. Uh, thinking with my coaching hat and the experience that I have as well. Um, I think the promise is, apart from opportunity that, uh, that Andre has mentioned, um, the promise of that confidence that we talked about before, the confidence to uh, present yourself as you know is your best self possible, uh, the confidence that you will have explored a number of different competencies and areas of law, and new ideas um, that you can then employ in a variety of different opportunities once you finish. And the confidence that you know you have um, a program, a network behind you that can also support you as you move forward. And I think that network that that uh, Chris just mentioned, that you're such a huge part of, Sean, is, is critical. And so that confidence Based on the experiences that they will have had over the eight months, and then also being part of a network, I think will will take them places that uh, they can't imagine. I think that's a, a positive for them.
3: That's a good promise, and I think it will motivate a lot of people. I can't thank you all enough. Uh, this is this is a great great uh, time. I'm going to have to do interviews like this more often. <laughs> the more the merrier. Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you very thank much. You, thank Sean. you. <laughs>